Well, happy uh, pre-Thanksgiving week to everyone. Great to see you tonight. Uh, my name is Brandon, and I'm one of the teachers here at Elements, and I'm really glad that you're here tonight. And as we get started, uh, I wanted to, to play a little game. Uh, it's going to be a simple game, and it's called Finish That Famous Line. And so I'm going to say the first part of the line, and then you're going to finish the line with me, okay? So here goes. That's one small step for man. Right, one giant leap for mankind. And even if you weren't alive in 1969 when Neil Armstrong said those words as he set foot on the moon, you've probably seen images of that. Tens of millions of people watched that night in July all over the world as he stepped out onto the moon and fulfilled a promise that President Kennedy had made to the Americans eight years earlier. He said, within a decade, America is going to put a man on the moon. And when he said that, they kind of knew what they needed to do to get somebody there, but it was still a dream. And then Armstrong steps out and he sets foot on the moon. A moon, by the way, that's about 238,000 miles from Earth. I want you to think about that. 1969... And we sent three men to the moon. Two of them walked on the moon and all three of them came back. It was remarkable at the time. It was extraordinary. It was considered one of the most extraordinary achievements in the history of mankind, both from a scientific and a technological standpoint. But now think about it 45 years later. Think about what we know about technology. Think about the fact that most of us carry around computers in our pockets, because that's basically what a smartphone is. We carry around computers in our pocket that in every single way is more significant than the computers that were behind that mission to the moon. I think I read there was like, the processor was like one megahertz. Okay, and, and we have phones now that have some dual processors with 1.3 or greater mega, uh, gigahertz in them. You know, there are four kilobytes of RAM on the computer. Kilobytes, not megabytes, kilobytes. Okay, and now we, we have gigabytes of RAM. And you think about it, and it's extraordinary that NASA was able to do that, that they were able to send uh, men to the moon in 1969 and to bring them back alive. The cars we drive are more sophisticated and intricate than the command module on the Apollo 11. Think about that. It's extraordinary. So you you fast forward. You may have seen this in the news a couple weeks ago. The European Space Agency, uh, they sent out a space probe with a lander on it. And the goal was to go out and to rendezvous with a comet. A comet that was 300 million miles away. And this space probe was actually launched 10 years ago. And I think it was on the 12th or 13th of November. the, The probe finally reached its destination. It finally reached its comet. A comet, by the way, that it's not like it's the size of the moon. It's not like it's the size of a planet. It's maybe two and a half miles in diameter. And and the European Space Agency was able to take this lander and they were able to put it down and they were able to get readings and pictures back from this before the the battery kind of died out. And now they're waiting to see if, if they landed in such a way that the solar panels can pick up the sun and recharge and they can continue to get stuff. I mean, they put a lander on a comet traveling in excess of 40,000 miles at 300 miles per hour at 300 million miles away. That's extraordinary, right? I mean, you thought what they, you know, Bruce Willis and Ben Affleck did in Armageddon was impressive, you know, like, right? See, we love the extraordinary. We're, we're fascinated by it and drawn to it really in every area of life, whether it's science or medicine or technology. There's just something about the extraordinary that captures our attention and pulls us in. 
But it's not just in those areas that we love the extraordinary. We love extraordinary people. We love people who are making an extraordinary difference in the world. Maybe people who, because of their inventions or because of the organizations they've started, they've impacted thousands or tens of thousands, or in some cases, millions of people. And we're drawn to their stories. And what is it that makes these people different? They're extraordinary. And we, we look at them and we love to see their stories. Or maybe we... We see someone who's going through a difficult time, who's facing a sickness or an illness, or they've had challenges throughout their lives. And we look at their stories and we think they're extraordinary people. And we look at what they've accomplished and and everybody says they couldn't and they did. And it's just extraordinary and we're drawn to it. We love the extraordinary. We love extraordinary wealth. We love dreaming about what it would be like and what we would do if we had extraordinary wealth. See, we love the extraordinary and we're drawn to it and we're fascinated by it. But isn't it true that for most of us, we live seemingly ordinary lives? Or at the very least, we would look at our life, we would look at our situation, and we would consider it ordinary from our perspective. We would say, well, you know, I've got friends, and I love my friends, and they're great friends, but you know, the friends I have, they're, they're all kind of like me. They're all kind of in the same place in life. None of us have, you know, jobs that are all that exciting. None of us have careers that are all that exciting. You know, none of us are really going anywhere financially. We don't, you know, you'd say, I, I, I don't really know anybody that is kind of on the, the fast track to, you know, become a CEO of an organization or become the president of a company. I don't know any leaders in the community. I just, you know, it's, I just, I kind of have friends and, but my friends are like me. We just all kind of have ordinary lives. Or maybe you look at your marriage, especially in comparison to the other marriages that you see, and and you think, you know, I just, I feel like my marriage is just kind of ordinary. Or you look at your job, your career, and you say, you know what? Uh, Stocking shelves, uh, serving food, making overpriced coffee drinks, you know, talking to clients on the phone. It's just, it's not terribly exciting. It's not all that extraordinary. It's not making much of a difference in our world. In fact, if you were to ask me, I'd just kind of say, you know, my, you, my job is just, it's kind of ordinary. It just, it feels plain and kind of vanilla. Or maybe, maybe you're a, a stay-at-home mom. And day after day, you're dealing with, you know, trying to wrangle the kids and, you know, keep up with their constant demands for attention and the discipline. And, you know, you feel like you're always one step behind them. And, you know, you finally get one down for the nap and the other one wakes up and and you're going, yeah, I just I feel like I do the same thing day after day. Now, from a father's perspective, I think that's pretty extraordinary. Okay. I have been at home all day with my kids. In fact, when our daughter, our second daughter was born back in, in June, I was home for two weeks. And during that time, two weeks after she was born, and during that time, um, when it came to the end of that, I did not want to go back to work, but I was ready to go back to work. If you know what I mean, because it is hard work. It is extraordinary work to stay at home with your kids. But if you, if you talk to moms, or if you listen to moms uh, talk to one another, you'll hear them talk about how they just feel like they do the same thing day after day, and, and it just seems so ordinary to them, because the reality is that, and, and as the kids get older, and you just, you become a taxi cab, and you're just, you're going from one thing to the next, and you're taking the kids to school, and you're taking them to all their activities, and, and it's just the same thing day after day after day, and it, it just doesn't feel that extraordinary. It feels so ordinary, and we want the extraordinary don't we? We're drawn to the extraordinary. We love the extraordinary. But here's a newsflash. Most of life is ordinary. 
Or at least we would think of most of life as ordinary. We would think of most of what we do on a day in, day out basis as not being particularly significant. As just kind of being plain. It's kind of like vanilla in a rocky road world. Because from our perspective, we look out and and, and other people, everybody else has the extraordinary life. And, And here's what happens is we experience this tension. And you may have not thought about it this way before. But there's a tension that we experience between the extraordinary life we want to have and the ordinary life that many of us feel like we do have. And what happens is this tension kind of rubs and we get discouraged. And maybe you haven't thought about it this way, but see if this kind of resonates with you. Maybe you've been in a situation at your job where, you know, you just got bored. Or you were in uh, your relationships with your friends and you just got bored. Your marriage got boring. Your, Your family got boring. You got bored because you didn't feel like what you were doing was significant. It was just ordinary. It was the same thing over and over and it wasn't terribly exciting. And so you got bored because of this tension. And then what happens when we get bored sometimes is that we start to think that what we're doing is actually insignificant. We think that what we're doing doesn't really matter, that it doesn't make a difference. And so we, we kind of start to cut corners. And we kind of start to take the easy road out. And we do just enough that we don't kind of get anybody suspicious. We do just enough so that our boss doesn't, you know, raise raise our eyebrows and kind of go, you know, what are you doing? Why are you slacking? We We do just enough to get by, but we certainly don't put our best into it. We don't put our best effort into it because we think that it's ordinary and we think that it doesn't matter. And here's why. What we're going to talk about tonight, here's why this idea about the way we view what we would consider ordinary, here's why this matters. Because one of the ways that we stunt our growth spiritually is when we view the ordinary with contempt. When we look at the, those aspects of our lives that are kind of unglamorous, the things that we do day after day after day that don't seem to matter, when we start to look at them and we start to think they're not significant, It hinders our growth spiritually because for those of us who are Christians, we've been invited into a new way of living. We've been invited into a new way of viewing these seemingly ordinary parts of our lives. See, what if there was a a way for us to begin to see the ordinary as extraordinary? And what if what we considered ordinary was actually extraordinary in God's economy? What if there was a way for us to begin to view things From a different perspective. And there is, and we're going to see this tonight in just a single verse. We're going to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31. Uh, The Apostle Paul is writing to the church in Corinth, and he makes this kind of incredible statement. And we're going to look at this statement, and we're going to unpack the context a little bit, and then we're going to talk about what this means for us. So 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31. Paul says, So, whether you eat or drink... Or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. So whether you eat, seems pretty ordinary, or drink, seems pretty ordinary, or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. And whatever you do, you don't need to know Greek to understand that whatever you do means Anything you do. It's very plain. It's clear. Paul is saying in this verse that whatever we do, do it all for the glory of God. And here's, you know, 
here's kind of the context in which he makes this statement. Uh, he's been having a discussion. The, really, the discussion starts in chapter 8. It kind of takes a break in chapter 9, and he comes back to it at the end of chapter 10. And the discussion is about whether or not it was okay for Christians to eat meat that was being sold in the market that had been sacrificed to idols. Not something that we have to deal with in our culture very much. But for first century Christians, this was a huge deal, especially ones that came from a Jewish background or at the very least were familiar with the Old Testament because in their minds, eating meat that had been sacrificed to an idol, a pagan idol, was basically the same thing as practicing idolatry, which was one of the commandments that God had clearly forbidden. In fact, that was one of the reasons that the nation of Israel kept going back uh, into discipline and, and eventually went into exiles because of their idolatry. And so these Christians are, uh, that are living in this first century where Christianity is relatively new, they're trying to navigate and figure out, okay, what does it look like? Jesus has come. Jesus is the fulfillment of the law. We're now living under a new covenant, but, but what does that mean? How does it work out in our daily lives, especially with these kind of ordinary things or things that we would look at and think it's not that big of a deal? Something like eating or drinking. Does it matter what we eat? Does it matter what we drink? And and Paul writes to them, and many scholars believe he's actually answering a question for them, that they asked him this question, what do we do about this? And Paul writes and, and he says, look, you can eat the meat as long as it doesn't violate your conscience and as long as you don't participate in the pagan ritual practices and as long as by eating the meat you don't offend a fellow believer. If you're going to offend a fellow believer, then you need to lay aside your freedom in this area for the sake of the other person. Now that's a, that's an oversimplification of what he says, but he goes through, he has this discussion. And at the end of this discussion is when he pens the statement that we just read. He says, so in light of everything I've just said about this topic, in light of, of everything that I've just mentioned about this in light of the, the question that you've asked about, does this part of our lives matter? The answer is yes. Eating matters. Yes, drinking matters because all of life matters. Paul elevates the ordinary here. See, if I could maybe kind of put this in my own words, here's what what Paul says is that even the ordinary can be extraordinary when it's done to the glory of God. Even the, the ordinary parts of our lives, the parts of our lives that aren't glamorous, the parts of our lives that we look at and go, does this really matter? Does this aspect of my job really matter? Does it matter how I do? Does it matter how I treat my friends? Does does my marriage matter? Does the way I interact with my children, does that really matter? Paul takes all of those things that we would maybe be tempted to see as ordinary and he elevates them and he says, these are not just ordinary. They can be extraordinary when they're done to the glory of God. And we look at that and we go, well, you know, there's got to be exceptions, right? But, but no, the statement is clear. Whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Because in God's economy, what we would think of as ordinary is really extraordinary. Because God is at work. He's behind the scenes. And because God is sovereign over all we do, there's value in all we do. Did you ever stop and think about the fact that, that wherever you are in life, it's not an accident that you didn't end up where you're at by happenstance. You got there because God 
guided you and directed you and led you there as a part of the story that he's unfolding in this world. And you hear that, and I know what you're thinking because I'm thinking the same thing. Yeah, but it's just not that exciting. And the truth is that some days it's not that exciting. Some days we get out of bed and we go through the motions and we do the same thing today that we did the day before and we do it again on Wednesday and we do it again on Thursday and again on Friday and finally the weekend's here, but then two days later, we're back at it again. And it doesn't feel that exciting, but in God's economy, what we would think of as ordinary can really be Extraordinary, because God is at work behind the scenes and he's navigating and guiding and directing everything that happens as a part of the bigger story that he's unfolding in this world. And so the way that we begin to engage with that mindset, this is how we kind of begin to put this into practice, is to use your story to give him glory. Use your story to give him glory. Whatever story you're writing in your life, take that as an opportunity to give him glory. See, one of the things that happens, and we don't, uh, sometimes we do it intentionally, other times we don't do it intentionally, is we make it about us. And what do I get out of this? And what do I feel about this? And does this excite me? And is this a big deal to me? And we're in it for our own good. And we're in it for our glory. But we have been invited to take and to use our story to give God glory. And you say, well, my story, it's, it's not that significant, but friends, this isn't about what the world says is significant. This isn't about what we feel is significant. This is about what, what God says is significant. And God says through his word, through this verse that Paul lays out, God says that, that even the ordinary or what we would think of as ordinary matters. Because the ordinary can become extraordinary when we choose to do it for the glory of God. And so the question then that we're left with is, well, what what does that look like? I mean, how does this play out in my daily life? Am I supposed to be going shopping at the grocery store and I'm pushing the cart and I, you know, lift that 40 pound frozen bird over into the cart and I, whoo, shopping for turkey to the glory of God. Amen. Right. I mean, do we have to get all weird about it? Okay. Um, or, you know, you're sitting in your comfy pants in the recliner on Thursday night with your feet up, eating your fourth piece of pie, watching your third football game. Yeah, just eating pie to the glory of God. Maybe, I don't know if that's true, then I'm going to go down that one. But, you know, let's dig a little deeper here. When Paul says, whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. What he's doing is calling us to a place where we give God his rightful and preeminent place in our lives where we take and we put his agenda ahead of our own. We put his desires ahead of our own. We take the things that are important to him and we put them front and center in our lives. And we begin to to reorient our lives around those things that God says matter. So maybe one of the ways this this plays out is that when we're in those moments where we're doing whatever it is that you think is, is so ordinary, that we begin to see the bigger picture. So you're at work. And you're dealing with a client and that client is a pain to deal with. But what you may not realize is that part of the reason that client is such a pain is because on the other end, they're dealing with a boss who has unrealistic expectations. They're dealing with coworkers who never appreciate them. And you might be the only person to treat them 
with respect. And the way that we treat people matters because people matter to God. Or maybe you're in a, a customer service or a retail type of, of career right now. And here we are, we're coming into the shopping season, right? And it, it used to be Black Friday, and now I feel like it's Black Thursday. And can we just all take a moment and discuss how ridiculous that is? I mean, that we had to go to work on Thursday, but, but here's what I know. Uh, I heard somebody this week and they were going off about, I can't believe the stores are open and they're all just so greedy. Well, here's what I know. The only reason the stores are open is because people will be there and they will make money. So don't blame the stores because the consumers are just as much to blame. And so if that's you, I am sorry. You will not see me in a store on Thanksgiving unless I forgot something for my Thanksgiving feast, in which case I'm, you know, scrambling. But I will, I will not go shopping on Thanksgiving. I was thinking of exceptions, but I, just, I figure I'd just discredit myself if I go there. So if Apple opened and was selling half-price MacBooks, I would so be there. Um, so be there. But that's a, a separate issue. Can you tell I, I kind of need a new computer and kind of want to, yeah, anyway. As a parent, it's tempting to think that, oh, that 30 minutes before bed, it's, it's not that big of a deal. It doesn't really matter. But what you have to realize is that, that parenting is, is a part of the bigger picture. Just like when you're interacting with clients, you're part of the bigger picture. You might be the only salesperson that's kind to them. And you look at it and you go, it's not that big of a deal. You look at your parenting, you go, ah, it's one night, so what? But you have to realize that parenting is a marathon and not a sprint. And that it's about making consistent deposits over and over and over in the lives of our kids. It means getting down on the floor and playing with the little ones. It means engaging and talking with the older ones, finding out what's going on in their world. It's those kinds of activities that put kindling around our children's hearts that, in, that the Holy Spirit can come along and spark the fire. And that fire can grow up and consume that kindling and it can grow into a flame where our children experience this life-giving, life-changing relationship that Jesus offers to them. See, we look and we think it doesn't matter, but that's because we're thinking about just the one thing. We miss the part, and we miss the reality that it's part of a bigger picture. So see, see the individual as a part of the whole, and then do something to engage with people. Do something to engage in the lives of others. Do something to help people out. Put people first. Put others first ahead of yourself. Do something for your boss. Do something for your coworkers that they'd have to do for themselves. Look for ways to do something for others. Look for ways to take those ordinary moments and to offer encouragement to others. To do something for your spouse or a friend that you know will be appreciated. To do something at your job that goes above and beyond. That's a little thing. And even if nobody notices it, that's okay. Take that next step. Do something for others. Practice what Paul talks about in Philippians. He says, uh, consider the interests of others ahead of your own. Look for ways to do for others what maybe they're not able to do for themselves or what they'd like to do for themselves, but for whatever reason, they just, they can't. Or maybe even do something for them that they can do for themselves and they probably will do for themselves, but you could do it Anyway, see, it's ways like that that we begin to take these seemingly ordinary moments of life 
and begin to make them extraordinary, that we begin to engage and we begin to use our story to bring God glory. And I know that when we have this many people here and, and we have ages and all represented all the way from you know, junior high, high school on up through people that are retired. And so this could land in a lot of places tonight. We have people that are at all different stages of their careers. And, and it's easy to look at this and to, to think, you know, that sounds good in theory, but, but let me tell you my story. And I get that. Believe me, I get that. Because this is really a, a journey that I've been on for a number of years now about learning to, to see uh, aspects of my life, uh, whether it's my career or uh, whether or not it's the way that I interact with my friends as, as having value and as not just being something ordinary, but as being something that actually matters and something that could be extraordinary. And, and I know that it's easy to just kind of mail it in and to just shrug your shoulders and say, oh, well, and, and just kind of to get caught in this uh, place this zone where we idolize the future and we we think about what we wish our lives was like and we imagine what it would be like if we could have an extraordinary life and in the process we miss all the ways right now that we can step in and begin uh, to use our story to give God glory see I've discovered that it's in the ordinary moments of life where I tend to grow the most It's not in the extraordinary moments, which is kind of counterintuitive. It's in the ordinary moments because it's in the ordinary moments where I begin to see my areas of weakness, where I see the sins that I commit over and over again, the sins that I need to repent of and to begin to, to, to turn and to trust Jesus, to begin to change me through the Holy spirit, to begin to change my selfishness, to begin to change my bad attitude to begin to change and to chip away and do away with my pride. It's in life's ordinary moments where God does most of his work with me. And that's why the ordinary moments matter because as Christians, we've been invited into a new way of living. See every single person here, whether you're a Christian or not, you want your life to count. You want your life to count for something. You want it to be significant. And there's nothing wrong with that. But the question is, how are you going to do that? And what Paul does here tonight is he invites us in. He invites us to use our story to give God glory. And so if you're here and you're not a Christian, if you haven't come to a place where you've said, you know, I trust that Jesus is my savior. I trust that Jesus died for my sins on the cross, that he rose again. I'm going to turn my life over to him. I'm going to let him be the leader. I'm going to let him call the shots. If you haven't come to that place yet, then I would encourage you to do that. Because when you come to that place, you enter into what we've talked about tonight. You begin to have the opportunity to use your story to give God's glory. And that, uh, and that search for significance that you've been on, a search that's come up empty, it begins uh, to shift. You begin to find meaning and purpose. And the invitation is there. Jesus offers an invitation. So why not take him up on that invitation? And for those of us who are here tonight and who are Christians, this is a chance for us to grow. A chance for us to see things differently. And to realize that, that God does most of his work on the plains and in the valleys. 
through the, the ordinary times and the difficult times. That's when God does most of his work, not on the mountaintops, not when things are going really well, not when we have that incredible spiritual experience. God does most of his work on the plains and in the valley. And we've been invited to embrace this reality that what we think of as ordinary can actually be extraordinary. And it starts when you and I come to a place where we say, God, I don't know what this is going to look like, but by your grace, I want to use my story to give you the glory because I want to make you famous. I want to make you known. I want you to be the center of attention. Let's pray. Father, we are thankful for your invitation uh, to play a part in the story that you are writing in this world, a story of redemption, a story of inviting people back to you, inviting people back to the place that, that humanity was created to be in an intimate relationship with you. We thank you that your son, Jesus, his death and resurrection makes that possible. And I, I pray for all of us here, especially myself. I pray that, that you would take this truth and, and drive it deep down into our hearts that you'd help us to, to see all the ways that maybe we uh, have kind of relaxed and taken the ordinary for granted. And would you begin to help us to, to see those parts of our lives from a new perspective? And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.